Welcome to the World Resources Institute podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. I'm delighted to welcome to the studio today two guests, Robin Chase, who's a member of the WRI board and uh, recently was described to me as the godmother of the sharing economy. Robin is the co-founder and former CEO of Zipcar, one of the early shared mobility services, and the author of Peers, Inc., How People and Platforms Are Inventing the Collaborative Economy and Reinventing Capitalism. We also have with us today Harriet Tregoning. Harriet is the director of the New Urban Mobility Alliance, or NUMO, which we are pleased to host here at the WI Ross Center for Sustainable Cities. And we're going to hear about NUMO in just a moment. Um, Robin, I think I'm going to start with you. You modestly said let's um, start with Harriet. But um, you were telling me just now how you got interested in nobility, mobility when you founded Zipcar. Tell me that story. Uh, so Zipcar, I have a co-founder. This is way back in ancient history in 1999. And she said, there's this thing I saw in Berlin. What do you think about this idea of car sharing? And so how I got into transportation is I thought, hmm, I need a car sometimes. And I definitely don't want to own one. And technology is at this moment where we can make this transaction trivial. So wire, wireless and, and the internet existed. Once I, so I ran that company for three years, built it, was delighted, and it was while I was doing that that I realized that transportation is the center of the universe. And I say it often and my children laugh each time. But if you think about whether you are happy at work, when you get to work, are you happy and sad or are you irritated or pleased? It had everything to do with how was your transportation experience getting there? And can you get that job? Can you go to that school? Can you go to that doctor's appointment? It all revolves around transportation. And I, like the way I used to be, like everyone else in the world, you don't even think about it. You don't see it. It's completely invisible to you. Never consider it. And then once you consider it, you realize, wow, this really is the gateway to opportunity. The It's the linchpin. We're having a conference here at WRI today uh, for NUMO, the New Urban Mobility Alliance. And I just, small testimonial, because my daughter's here for the conference, we rode our bikes to work today, and I arrived delighted and happy to be here. So one proof point for what you're saying. Um, Harriet, you've been uh, the director of NUMO for three months. What is it? It's an alliance organization. Um, it's basically something that grew up around the shared mobility principles that Robin and eight other nonprofit organizations helped to create. Uh, there are now more than 140 organizations that have signed on to these principles. Uh, but principles are great, and I hope we'll talk a little bit about them, but they're not quite the same as action. So NUMO is an alliance of those organizations and hopefully many more that are going to be taking those principles and putting them in action, whether that's uh, piloting different approaches to mobility in their cities, whether that's uh, researching and finding out uh, new information that we need to have to understand whether things are getting uh, better or worse because of some of these uh, new mobility opportunities. Um, it's also how do we use data? How do we regulate uh, all the mobility in our cities? Um, I want to go into the principles first. They're so impressive. I just reread them before this. Um, maybe you could give us an example of two or three of the principles. They start out, they feel like motherhood and apple pie. There's nothing you would disagree with. As you go down the list, they become a little more radical, 
or provocative. So I'm thinking in particular of the last one, but I'm going to save that for last. What are, what are some of the early principles, the first two or three? Well, one of the things that we're having a conference about uh, this week is open data. So I think that is a principle that's very important. It's not one of the first principles, uh, but it's something that's very topical uh, right now. By open data, you mean that companies providing shared mobility should make their data public? So one of the principles, I have them all delightfully memorized now, so I, I refer to them. Um, number eight <laughs> is um, public benefits via open data. And so if we think about cities and What's, it, what's the intersection between how we use these vehicles? We're digitizing transportation right now. And what's the intersection with that and how cities plan or enforce? And so Harriet used to be um, head of planning for DC for a very long time. And so you can think about how the transportation data that, is, that you didn't used to have so explain ways in which you would think that transportation data is interesting and useful for planning to cities. Well, uh, one of the topics that a lot of people are talking about now is the equity of access uh, to scooters, let's say, or transportation. Uh, without data, it would be really impossible for cities to know who was getting access, whether different geographic parts of the city uh, had people who were able to use different transportation. And one of the things that's, I think, really interesting about new mobility and all of these new transportation options coming to cities, it's really causing a lot of cities and citizens to think about, hey, um, what is my access to uh, mobility options? How do I get to the things that I need? And why are things so allocated the way they are? Why are they, uh, why is it so much easier to get to a job from this part of town than from that part of town? You know, shouldn't we try to make sure that we have uh, similar kinds of access? Uh, people spend similar amounts of time to get to the uh, the things that they need every single day. So I want to go to another principle leveraging off of that number three, um, which is we make efficient use of our streets, curbs, and vehicles. So if we think right now, I'm and this idea of conversation that's happening in among citizens, um, I'm always laughing about when people say, oh, those Uber and Lyft cars, they're constantly double parking, it's so irritating. And then I'm a cyclist and I think, yeah, but those delivery cars are so irritating and the people dropping off their kids are so irritating because they're the ones who are doing the double parking. Once we think about this open data piece, we can actually know who is doing the double parking. And further, if we think about planning, where should the city actually be having pick-up and drop-off zones so we don't have any double parking. And why, why, do we, why have we allocated on-street parking for 20 people to be happy, happy per block per day rather than having hundreds of people happy per block per day because they can pick up and drop off humans or freight safely without double parking. So it's this reallocation, and if we think of cities, we need to use them efficiently and make them as pleasant as possible for as many people as possible. So the principles are leading cities or are ways in which cities can think through these principles and I don't want to say check them off, evaluate their action plans against those principles to deliver cities that are, uh, we're saying, sustainable and just, livable and joyful. Robin, I've heard you describe two visions of this technologically driven 
future. And you know, we talk about scooters, um, Uber, Lyft, various kinds of shared mobility, um, that these things could really create either, you call it a heaven or a hell. Give us the vision of hell. Um, we live in hell. So what's kind of interesting is that people both hate change and they hate the status quo. That, you know, that right now we have extreme congestion. People are spending 18% of their income, their household budgets on their vehicles mostly. So the first hour and a half you're working is getting to work. We have people who are less than 16 who are trapped unless someone drives them someplace. We have old people who never want to give up their license because they will now be imprisoned in their houses. So the status quo is not working for us, and the status quo is very car-dominated. We've planned cities around that, and we've, I want to say further, we've priced and regulated and zoned to make cars easy and cheap. And so what we're seeing now, I think of technology as having made sharing easy and convenient. And so now it's easy for me to get a car sometimes, or it's easy for me to step out my front door and say, oh, am I going to walk, ride, scoot, transit, taxi? What is, what is the moment? What is the best trip for this path? And is this that's, that's unfolding before us? And I can't even remember the first question. But well, think, it was the heaven or hell. So you've told so us we're already in hell. What's heaven been hell. Well, I w- let me go back to yeah. hell for just a second, because that's, you're, you're calling what we currently have in many places hell. But there's also a, a, a hell that's technology-enabled uh, that we don't yet experience, which is that we have a lot of autonomous vehicles, but they're privately owned. Um, they're electric they're, they're, or, or not, but they're relatively inexpensive uh, to, uh, to, to operate. If they are electric, it's going to be cheaper for them to circle and keep driving. It'll be, you know, cents uh, an, uh, an hour yeah, I can to give operate. You, the number on that is it's a penny and a half a mile the marginal cost of driving an electric vehicle. So if you think in cities, people do 15 to 30 miles. So it's like 45 cents an hour to operate an autonomous electric vehicle. And no parking, right? That you would never, uh, that's, that's way cheaper than any parking charge anywhere. So that you would never pay uh, for a metered parking spot or a parking garage. You would just circle. And so whatever so we think. So my car drives, drops me off, and it drives around the city for eight hours while I work, and it, it comes back and gets me. Or driving. It might, or right. it might go back all the way back to your home and then stay there for an hour and a half and then drive all the way back to you. Right. Clogging up the roads. Clogging up the roads and making it even more congested than it is and even more auto-dominant than it is. So that's a version of hell that's entirely conceivable uh, and that you know and, and, and easy to imagine. And that's not what we want out of this kind of disruption that we're that we're starting to see in mobility. We'd like uh, we'd like a different version. Yeah, and so I tended to get my dry cleaning, by the way, right? Right. Oh, and definitely. my groceries and pick up my kid. And so it's just driving around all the time. I have to say, I already do that with Uber sometimes. If my, <laughs> my, my husband had a, this bad habit of putting his elbows through his uh, dress shirts. And so I often would put a shirt in a, in a vehicle. And admittedly, a driver uh, was in that vehicle, but to take the shirt to him at the office. A new shirt. So I think about Dante's Inferno and that we are right now in the second circle of hell and we are going directly towards the seventh circle with the, these new, with, with autonomous vehicles. But talk about heaven. Let's go to heaven. Yes, let's go to heaven. Okay. 
I did some heaven yesterday because I think both we are seeing right now both vision. We, we're living right now in parts of hell and parts of heaven. So yesterday, on, on Saturday, was a beautiful day in Washington, D.C. I was with my daughter. We had two fantastic bikes, and we were able to drive from the zoo um, out for a 45-minute, 45 45-mile 45 bike ride almost entirely on safe, delightful bike lanes. So we, we, were live, we were in a city and we got to fantastic leisure opportunities and were able to buy our lunch and have treats and see things without f- worrying about death. So that was, that was part of heaven, that I could experience greenery, water, orangutans, and uh, lots of birds of, we, we saw, we came across a bunch of turkey vultures, and I was impressed that I could tell they were turkey vultures, because they look well, like... Depending where you went, you could have then put your bike on the metro or put it on a bus if you didn't want to ride back home, and you would have had public transport to right. move you and your bike, which is one of the nice things about D.C. And so heaven, just going further, heaven would be, um, imagine that your nine-year-old can get themselves to school, and why can they get themselves to school? Because either the walking path is safe and you're not thinking they're going to get run over, or their biking path is safe. Um, Heaven is my 93-year-old mother can get to the gym, which incredibly she goes to, without driving a car because she takes a shared taxi and she calls one. So those are are signs of heaven. And also I'd say less parking and more green space or yeah, let me mention one other thing that I think would be part of heaven. Right now, we've kind of taken it as a given um, in our country that private automobility is often the price of entry into the economy. So, you know, that means that people who don't have the ability to buy a car um, often have very uh, precarious access to employment. And so that is a you know, that's a kind of a very difficult thing about uh, about the U.S. Many places either don't have good transit or have transit that's so unreliable that if you were an hourly worker, if you were an hourly wage worker, that you uh, and you were late a couple of times, you might very easily lose your job over over your uh, your precarious mobility. And I think one of the things that's that's changing along with technology and these new entrants is that we have a generation of uh, of young people who are graduating from college with really unbelievably high levels of college debt. You mentioned you have a daughter. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe you, you were lucky and uh, she went entirely by scholarship, but for many, many people, parents and children of, uh, who, are, who are in college, that debt is a huge consideration. And it has demonstrably delayed some adult milestones like starting a family or buying a home uh, or even leaving your parents' home. Uh, because that debt is so high. So students uh, who are graduating with these high levels of debt are often uh, picking places to live where they can live without a car so they can pay that down that debt a lot more quickly. That is uh, causing employers to go to those places where that talent is, which is sh- shaping the GDP in our country uh, to be concentrated in a relatively few places. Uh, and And actually changing the nature of economic mobility in this country, because a lot of those places simply haven't been able to produce the housing uh, sufficiently quickly or in a sufficient quantity to prevent the prices from being very, very high. So you have a lot of jobs in places where it's now very expensive to live, 
and that shuts people out of those opportunities that are there. So this mobility uh, solution, the set of solutions that we're talking about are really essential, not just for uh, the convenience of people and for the for the climate reduction, the climate-related benefits, but actually for what we think of as the fundamental bedrock of the American dream, the ability, no matter how humble your beginnings, to be able to rise and for your children's lives to be better than, than your lives have been. And that is really being stymied by um, our mobility system. Harriet, Robin mentioned, and I should have mentioned in introducing you, that you were formerly the D.C. city planner. And I just I want to thank you for all the changes we've seen in this city. It's become much more bicycle friendly, and I assume you had a lot to do with that. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk to us and to our listeners about the lessons that you drew from that experience and why you decided to leave that, which sounds like a pretty wonderful opportunity to be the planner for the nation's capital, to come to NUMO and how you're going to take your knowledge and try, you know, I'm presuming you think NUMO is going to be an even more effective platform for getting us a little further from purgatory and a little closer to heaven. So, Lawrence, you don't know this about me, I don't think, but, um, but, but you know, how, do you know how every once in a while you, 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 you think you're doing something that's good and important, but then you stumble across what later you realize is your vocation in life. So when I was 13 years old and I visited Washington for the first time, I grew up in the suburbs of St. Louis, very close to Ferguson, uh, Missouri, and uh, I just took it as a given that everyone had a car, everyone drove, that this development pattern that was you know, very uh, land consumptive. I didn't. I wouldn't have put it that way. I would have called it inconvenient, uh, and I would have, you know, without a lot of streets, without sidewalks, long distances between where you were and the places you wanted to go, uh, and and having to rely on your parents to get to most of those places. Um, when I came to Washington at 13, I was really surprised and kind of thrilled to see the Capitol and the offices around the Capitol cheek by jowl with housing these really lovely little brick row houses. And on Pennsylvania Avenue, a whole, you know, blocks and blocks of restaurants and shops and a grocery store. And I thought, wow, what a convenient way to live, that one day I will live in Washington, right? That I, that I thought that was so wonderful. But it really ended up shaping um, a lot of the work that I ended up doing later in my life, and in, in, including, you know, starting uh, with others, a kind of national smart growth movement. So you're seeing this as a big change from my job as planning director. For me, it's a continuum, right? So I've been the, uh, you know, I worked at the Environmental Protection Agency where I helped to start this national smart growth movement. Then I was the secretary planning for the state of Maryland because it was the state doing the most on smart growth and using its own budget and infrastructure dollars to influence how local governments chose to uh, arrange their cities. Right, uh, saying that that the the state will help you, but only if you're growing within the boundaries that you've designated for growth, not not just all over the place. Uh, and then I, uh, uh, I I became the uh, the planning director in D.C. But after that, I also uh, worked in the Obama administration doing housing and community development uh, at HUD. So Numo is to me a very natural place to be because transportation is a huge part of uh, how we make cities more wonderful, more livable, more equitable, 
Um, you know, I, I firmly believe they're uh, humankind's finest creation, and they could, especially in the U.S., be much, much better uh, places for everybody to be living. And how is NUMO going to do that? Well, NUMO is going to help people and places, uh, as well as companies, uh, use the new mobility principles to think about, the shared mobility principles, excuse me, to think about um, how to uh, uh, deploy the existing mobility options along with the new ones in ways that make people better off, that reduce the, uh, the greenhouse gas emissions that get produced, that make it more affordable, uh, and to make it more equitable so that we get the kinds of places that we love to visit but never imagine that we can be living in. Robin, I'm going to give you the last word. I think it's wonderful that we got through an entire conversation about sustainable mobility and we only came to climate at the very end. Because for climate activists, that's often the starting point, is we want to reduce the huge amount of emissions coming from transport. But there are all of these other things which the climate people sometimes call co-benefits. But they're really the benefits that people feel immediately of being you know, closer to their work, more immediate, having better quality of life. What thought do you want to leave with our listeners? Um, I love that you observe that, and that's what I've learned over the last 20 years, that people People do want to have better lives, and they do want to get places and live delightfully. And we're looking at this future, and I think there's a lot of anxiety about how in heck would we ever get there? What would it look like? And I think there's two different heaven and health visions of how we become sustainable. <laughs> so there's two types of futures out there. And for, for many people, they think a sustainable future is a miserable, medieval, inconvenient, horrible place. And I look at it and I think, no way. I am yearning for that future because I think it's going to be a much more pleasant, more livable, more green space, more access, more delightful place. And I really am working on that every day. And so I think the co-benefits are so tightly bound together that um, I, I've stopped separating them. And so I, Numo's job is to help all the stakeholders so cities often don't express what they want curiously they don't say here's the here's where we're going and the principles help them figure out where it is that they want to go and then we can create a by having these shared values of the shared mobility principles a shared set of values between the private sector between NGOs between cities and between people who live in those cities we all know where we are going and these principles help us get there, and NUMO will help with that execution, that vision, and how to make it as simple as possible for that alliance, larger partnership, to get us there together. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me. Uh, we've been uh, talking with Robin Chase. Uh, she is the founder of the New Urban Mobility Alliance, and with Harriet Tregoning, who is the director of NUMO. Um, I've enjoyed chatting with both of you and hope we'll have you back on the show soon. Thank you so much. This has been the World Resources Institute podcast. I'm Lawrence McDonald. You can find the WRI podcast on our website, on Stitcher, on iTunes, and other places where fine podcasts are given away. Thank you for listening.